if you're ever in the mood to pick a fight <clears throat> on social media, I recommend talking about the wrong and right ways to parent. I'm serious. Because there is, you know, obviously, if you want to talk about politics, yes, you can rile people up. But there's no better way to hurt somebody deep in their soul than to make sure that you point out that the way that they parent is wrong. Or to at least make statements that imply that your right way of doing it is so much better than theirs, and thus they are deficient as a parent and failing. Um, I say this because there are so many opinions out there. Don't feed your kids McDonald's. That's poison. That's almost abusive. Oh, man. You better be sure that you give your kids all the food options. You know, make sure that they learn to discern and pick for themselves so that they, you don't have a taboo food that it just becomes their obsession, you know, like sugar. They're going to obsess about sugar no matter what. Just a clue. It lights up those taste buds for a reason. Or do you co-sleep or don't co-sleep? And all of this has the implication that you are going to wreck them. You know, no screen time or give them limited screen time. Make them earn it. Oh, no, don't make them earn it because then it's a reward and yada, 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 whatever. And, and, and don't even get started. Don't even get started on breastfeeding unless you want to be there for days. There are lots of opinions, which is great. You know, we all have them. And there's a line about that that I'm not even going to touch on today. But when opinions come with judgment, that's the hard part for us, I think. As in, you're a bad parent for doing this, or you're a good parent for doing this or not doing this. And it's hard to navigate parenting enough without all the judgment. And I'll be honest, as a parent, I'm looking for help and advice and support. Trust me. You know, I did a search this morning on what's out there. Just a quick Google. And this is just the images. This isn't the actual, like, links and everything. But these are all the parenting books that just came up in a quick search. All those little blocks are different books, you know, from positive parenting to intentional parenting to the whole brain child, um, you know, parenting God's way. There are lots of lots of opinions. There's lots and lots of research out there. And having to sift through that as a parent can feel rather overwhelming. And I'm not even touching on the bloggers that are out there offering all of their opinions to us or the ones making the reels that we sit and doom scroll through at night. And the truth is, yes, we need some practical, good advice on how to raise our kids. We need help. We need things that we can practice daily. But more than anything, more than anything, us humans who are parenting, we need encouragement and grace to figure it out and to figure out what works for us and our family and our dynamics and what works also for our kids. Because our kids all have different personalities. And one attempt to kind of discipline one child works beautifully with them 
and horribly with the other. Trust me, I, I've seen this at work. I've, I've been in youth ministry for a number of years, and then to watch parents go, it worked with my oldest, but man, my youngest, just nothing. They have different personalities. So not all things work for everyone. And yes, there are probably some very bad ways to parent. Those are usually on the news. But there is no one right way to raise a child. There is no one right way to raise a child. There are many right ways to do it. And that's what makes it so dang confusing. Because it's too many options. It's too many options. It's, it's worse than trying to pick a cereal at the grocery store. There are too many options on how to do this. And we sometimes just want to know what is the most right way. There isn't. And the thing is, this requires some work on our part, some self-reflection, to know ourselves, to know what we need as parents, and to know what our child needs. And to have sometimes, what is your goal? You know, yes, we're raising kids, but you know, what's your goal in raising your children? And for me, it's about raising a kind, compassionate person who loves Jesus. Kind, compassionate person who loves Jesus. That's my goal for them. And you may have a different one. But mine is that. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. I really don't need my kid to go to Harvard because I can't afford Harvard. Um, you know, and, and if that is your goal for your child, that's fine, but it's not mine. And I don't want to be judged because it's not mine. And I'm not going to judge you because that's your goal for your child. And so when we kind of figure out what works for us as parents, <clears throat> it's a game changer. And we still feel like we're failing most days. Most days we crawl into bed exhausted. But there comes something from knowing yourself, knowing your child, and knowing what the goal is, and maybe having some guidelines to navigate the waters. That at the end of the day, or the day when everything falls apart, and you get called into the principal's office at your daycare. <laughs> been there. Um, to talk about your child's behavior, who's a four-year-old, and acting like a four-year-old that I can remind myself of the goal. No, this behavior that he displayed is not what we do in my house. So how do we correct it and move forward? Because my goal is to have a kind, compassionate child or adult at the end of the day, the end of this time, who loves Jesus. Because at the end of the day, I am trying to raise adults. And this is a decades-long process. So forget annual goals. You know, what's your goal for this year? It's like, I got a decade-long goal, at least, or a couple. And those of you who are empty nesters will tell me, and have told me, it doesn't stop when they're adults. It continues. It just changes. And I think, in kind of reflecting on kind of the philosophy, the approach, the attitude towards parenting is very similar to what we see in our faith. That we're in it for the long game. You know, it's not just, hey, you know, some days it is, just getting through the day. <laughs> but it's also, what is the long game? What is the goal at the end of all of this? 
and the same for our faith. And I think in our faith, we require the same things that we require when we're parenting. There's some self-awareness and some simple guidelines that fit within what is the goal. And the interesting thing is that in the 18th century, a man by the name of John Wesley, who founded the Methodist Church, and we are a Methodist Church, he realized the same thing. He realized that most of us want to live a good and faithful life in Christ, if we follow Christ. We want to do that. We want to practice our faith in ways that are healing and life-giving, not destructive and life-robbing. So Wesley, who was very analytical, very reflective, um, almost a little OCD at times with things, came up with three simple rules. And it oriented around kind of the goal of our faith, you know, that once we are in relationship with God, our purpose is to love God and love neighbor. And that comes to us from Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40. And Wesley thought, well, how do we do this? If this is the what, the love God and love others, how do we live that out? And he came up with these very simple rules to do no harm, to do good, and stay in love with God. He wasn't trying to improve on Scripture. He was just trying to give some guidelines for how to live. And we talked about the first two, to do no harm and to do good. You know, talking about doing no harm in this world, not adding to the world's pain, requiring us to be aware of our actions and aware of others in our lives and to adjust our behaviors, our words accordingly so that we are not adding to the pain of this world. And last week we talked about what it is to do good, which is less about earning. Actually, it's not about earning our salvation at all and more about having a lifestyle of doing good. Having a lifestyle of doing good in this world. And as we've kind of journeyed through those, we have landed at this final one, which is to stay in love with God, which focuses on how we choose to spend time with God. And that's important, that we choose to spend time with God. You're doing it right now. When you chose to get up this morning, uh, get dressed, get in the car, come here. You made a choice that is actually a spiritual practice, whether you realize it or not. And that is really what it is to stay in love with God, is to engage in practices, engage in relationship with God that allows you to love God and allows you to receive God's love. Because it is when we spend time with God that we find ourselves rooted, rooted in his goodness. Or as it says in Colossians um, chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. So live in Christ Jesus, the Lord, in the same way as you've received him. Be rooted and built up in him. Be rooted. I love that. I love that idea of not just like the idea of a plant with deep roots, but like that grounds it. It sustains it. It allows it to weather storms and life. So be rooted and built up in him. Be established in faith and overflow with thanksgiving just as you were taught. So this idea of being rooted, this is what these practices do for us. And it's about why we do them. 
It's to be in relationship with God. It's not to check another box. It's not another to-do list item at all. But instead, kind of making a date to spend time with God. It's the same thing that we do with our friendships. We make time for the people we care about, and we spend that time with that, them intentionally if we are good friends. Because it's in relationship with God, as it says in Psalm 105, that when we pursue the Lord, we also find strength. Pursue the Lord and his strength. Seek his faith always. That we draw strength from God in that relationship with him. And this idea of seeking his face, you know, you think about what it is to be face to face with someone. To be looking in someone's eye. There's an intimacy, there's an intention and attention. Being fully present to that person not to the device in your hand unless they're on FaceTime. So seeking God's presence, this is the idea that we get at when we want to stay in love with God, to be present to God, to pay attention to God. And sometimes this can be hard for us to understand. How do we do this? How do we do with this with a being we cannot see or touch? And that is why we engage in spiritual practices and why you know, as a church, we spent some time last fall, and we'll be continuing that um, into February, looking at what we called workshops, where we learned different spiritual practices, ways to connect with God, and to explore that in conversation with one another, to be able to ask questions like, how do I do this? And I understand kind of the what, but how do I do it? Because these practices, they are not necessarily always well, they're not. They're not rules or requirements. There's hopefully habits for us, practices that we engage in, and they are tools, meaning they help us accomplish something in relationship. That they help us experience our relationship with God. And like any practice, they need to be learned and done regularly to have an impact. And so I want us to take a moment here today and kind of explore what are those things that draw us in to the presence of God? How do those things help us stay in love with God? Because Wesley, John Wesley, he saw that the consistent practice of these spiritual disciplines, you know, as a faith leader in his community, he saw that when people consistently practice these things, and seeking to follow Jesus, to stay in touch with the presence and the power of God, that doing so, doing these practices, helped root them and grow them in their faith and helped them fulfill their desire to be faithful disciples. That actually these practices, or sometimes we call them disciplines, they can teach us how to live our lives in harmony with something that's larger than ourselves. How do we connect with God? How do we relationship with God? How do we become a friend of God or understand God's friendship with us? There's this amazing quote from um, a nun, Joan Chistoser, and she kind of captures this. 
what it is to have a spiritual life, an internal life. All we have in life is life. All we have in life is life. Things, the cars, the houses, the educations, the jobs, the money, come and go, turn to dust between our fingertips. Change and disappear. The secret of life, the secret of life it is, is that it must be de developed from the inside out. The secret of life is that life must be developed from the inside out. So often we focus outward when we need the inward. And spiritual practices help us develop the inward, that connection with God, that relationship with God, where we are not only talking with God, but also listening and hearing. Helping us stay in love with God, as Wesley encouraged people to do. Helping us to guide our faith and draw strength from God when we needed it. That it strengthens and matures us and that often these common spiritual practices that we understand, they're not the end-all be-all. They're not the only one. But so often we look at common spiritual practices like public worship, prayer, searching the scripture, you know, kind of looking for advice, also studying the Bible just simply on its own. And another one that's kind of a challenge for us as well is fasting. These are all kind of the common spiritual practices that are named throughout the centuries. Now, they're not the only ones, but they capture it. And we may name our spiritual practices or disciplines differently, but we all need regular practices or habits that keep us in connection with God. It just doesn't happen. We have to give ourselves to it. So we have to position ourselves to hear and respond to his presence and his power every day and in every situation. And it's through these practices that we develop that root system. We learn to hear and respond to God's direction. We learn to trust God. We learn of God's love for us. And in that love is nurtured and sustained. You know, when we make these practices a way of life, that they're just part of the habits that we have, and they're not done mindlessly, like brushing our teeth, but when we miss it, we feel it. That we make this a way of living that keeps us in love with God and assures us of God's love for us in this world and the world to come. That we are continually reminded of God's love for us. That's what we do when we are in relationship with God, when we practice these, these disciplines, these habits. And again, they may look different from person to person because we're all different, much like some of our parenting practices look a little different. But we can usually agree what falls in the realm of good and nurturing. And those essentials can sustain us, like public worship, reflection on scripture, regular participation in a life with other believers, doing acts of goodness, and being in prayer. That within the diversity of all those practices, and even the ones I don't name, there is a constant that unifies them. And that is movement towards God that results in a transformation of life a movement towards God 
that results in a transformation of life. That this life that we have is valued and that we live it out faithfully. And that in that we are transformed and transforming those around us. I love the idea of how we engage in relationship with God and how it strengthens us, strengthens that bind that we have with God. Now, I want to make this very clear, though. None of these are required. None of these are the means to earn your salvation. They can be means to experience God's grace, yes, but simply doing them, it don't get you into heaven. That's not how grace works. Grace is not an exchange of goods and services with God. Grace is trusting in God's goodness and knowing that we cannot save ourselves and to lean into him for that. And that once we are there, we then live this life that should reflect a love for God and a love for others. That we should be transformed through that relationship that we have entered into with God. Now, Having a regular habit, though, is helpful and encouraging. And I hope that you have some in your life. I hope that you have at least one, maybe a couple, that encourages your faith. And if you do so, I want to encourage you to continue that. I don't want you to go, oh, Mariah preached on this. i got to change what I do. No, if what you are doing works for you, is encouraging your faith, is building you up spiritually, keep doing it. Keep doing it. You are in this for the long game, right? So keep doing what works. But if you don't have a spiritual practice, or the ones that you have engaged in have kind of run dry, meaning they're kind of not working for you at the moment, and I've experienced this myself. I used to journal my prayers extensively, and now I just don't even have the energy for it. I'll be honest, it's not working for me. It feels like a to-do, not an invitation to relationship. And that's what these should be for us. So if you don't have a practice, I want to talk about one, taking one from Jesus' own playbook today. That we want to spend time, I think, particularly with prayer. Prayer is probably the best place to start with any spiritual practice because it is conversation. It is being in presence with God, remaining in relationship with God. And that can look a little differently for all of us, but I want to take a page, like I said, from Jesus' playbook, that it comes to us from Mark, chapter 1, verse 35. And it's this simple verse, but there's a lot in it, as Jesus models for us. And if you think, well, Jesus needed this, maybe, maybe I do. Early in the morning, well before sunrise, Jesus rose and went to a deserted place where he could be alone in prayer. Early in the morning, well before sunrise, Jesus rose and went to a deserted place where he could be alone in prayer. Now, you could take this and do it literally. Get up early, go to a place, be alone, and pray. It's that simple. Or look a little bit at the essence of it. You know, the early in the morning, maybe you work third shift. Early in the morning is the end of your day, and you want to start your day with prayer. Shift it around. Because I want you to take and find a time that works for you. 
That may be morning, that may be midday, that may be at the end of the night. What works for you? This again, this is that piece of self-awareness. Knowing yourself. And maybe you're not sure. I don't know what's going to work for me. Try a couple things. Try a week of getting up early and praying. And if you find that you keep hitting snooze, you may need to rethink that time. But don't rethink the, the intention to do that practice. Because I think in the essentials of this passage that we see is that Jesus had a time, he sought to be alone, and he engaged in prayer. So there's a time, there's prepping the space, and there's the practice itself. Because often it is preparation that needs the most attention at first. So know yourself. Pick that time. And make sure that there are no distractions. I think that's why Jesus chose to be alone in a deserted place. Because, yes, we know we can all be alone in a crowd, but that crowd is going to have some noise and a whole lot of distraction for us even with those noise-canceling headphones on at times. So pick your time, pick your place. Make sure there are no distractions. Leave the phone in another room. Tell your people you need this time. That's a step I think a lot of us forget to do. Tell your people you need this time. Leave me alone. And I know they don't always take that seriously, but maybe if you got little ones, Ask the other adult, help me out here. This is why knowing yourself, knowing your space, knowing where you're going to be able to give your full attention to God is important. Spend that time talking and listening to God. Now, there's lots of things that you can do to kind of structure that time. I'm only going to give you two today. I'm going to give you two options. There are a lot of other ones. You can think of your own. But these are two I think always work, is what to pray. Is you can pray the Lord's Prayer. And if you're not sure of all the words, Google them. Make it a screenshot. There's probably lots of social media posts out there with the whole thing out there for you if you need it. Print it out, whatever you need, the Lord's Prayer. Simply say that as part of your practice. Allow yourself to really think about the words in the prayer itself. And after you say it, sit with some silence. That's one option. Say the Lord's Prayer and then sit in silence. Or take a page from Annie Lamont. She's a writer. She's a recovering alcoholic. And she came to faith. And her faith is very raw, very real. And she said, these are my three prayers. Help, thanks, wow doesn't get easier than that. Help. Asking for what you need from God. Thanks. Giving thanks for what you have received or acknowledge what you are grateful for. And then wow. Which is taking note of what God has done. Being in awe of who God is and what he has done in this world. It's sometimes taking time with creation and all its various forms. But those are two options on what to pray. So praying the Lord's Prayer or taking a page from Annie Lamont. Help, thanks, wow. These are two options you can use with that time. And the thing is, I would encourage you to start small. 
Start with a simple amount of time. Start with five minutes. Get that down. And then allow it to grow. That is the important thing about practices, is that we take our time with them. That we realize this is about the long game. This is about a faith that lasts our entire lifetime, in which we are growing and being nurtured by the love of God. So make it simple. Make it easy for you to do and accomplish. The important thing is that when we pray, we not only speak to God, but we listen. Because it's in prayer that not only do we speak to God, but God speaks to us. To be aware of God. To be in touch with God and his presence every day. Relationships aren't built overnight. Yes, they can start in a moment. And that's a beautiful thing about friendships and our relationship with God. They can start in an instant, but it is over the course of a lifetime that they get richer, deeper, more meaningful, that they sustain us when life is hard, that they nurture us in those places that we need nurtured. That this is created over a lifetime. And for us as Christ followers, prayer Prayer should be the center of a transformed life, of allowing ourselves to be transformed by God's very presence. That in doing so, we are staying in love with God. Amen.